Hello, this is Hilary Robertson. Welcome to the latest episode of Harmonious World. For this episode, I'm joined by Richie Hawley, award-winning clarinetist, who is half of the Hannock Hawley duo. Their new album, A Gentle Notion, is out now. It's their debut album as a duo, and it celebrates the past 50 years of American music for clarinet and piano. A Gentle Notion features the sonatas of Aaron Copeland, Jennifer Higdon and Pierre Jalbert. And what you're listening to right now is Joan Tower's Wings for Solo Clarinet. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Hello, Hilary. Hello, Richie. How are you? It's so great to meet you. You too. Thank you for joining me here on Harmonious World. I'm delighted to be here. And I absolutely, I'm adoring a gentle notion. Oh, thank you. I always wanted to play the clarinet. I I started off as a clarinetist and graduated to the saxophone, but have played clarinet sort of continuously. But I, my first realization that I wanted to play the clarinet was when I heard Gershwin's An American in Paris. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Gershwin knew how to write for the clarinet. That is for sure. Absolutely did. And I think Copeland does too, did too. Definitely. Uh, you know, I, my, one of my favorite pieces for clarinet has always been the Copeland Clarinet Concerto. And it's clear he really knew how to write for the clarinet. And um, the sonata that I played of Copeland's is very seldomly played by clarinetists. And I think a lot of it is they see that it was arranged um, from his violin sonata. So no one wants to play an arrangement. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's sort of shunned upon in the serious world. But when you examine it, you realize, oh no, Copeland made this arrangement. And to such an extent that he was invested in it, it's even in a different key throughout the whole piece, just so that it lays so well for the clarinet. And I think that's what's lovely about it, is that it, it, it was obviously conceptualized on violin, but when he revised it for clarinet, he did the piece a service in terms of making it sound even better than the original for violin. Yes, and it's a it's a gorgeous piece. The final movement is stunning, isn't it? It's it's incredible, incredible. And the the lento, the middle movement. Mm-hmm. I think that what the American sound was uh, in a way defined by Copeland in the 40s and 50s. And it was that big open sound that ironically then got, got assigned to the, the movies for the uh, big broad expanse of uh, American prairie openness. And even throughout uh, the American compositions that m- progress far beyond that and and went very atonal or into even clusters. There's an American sound that I believe Copeland defined. And part of that uh, definition is he, rather than just take a third, he he stretches that interval to be a 10th. And where most composers would have just kept it that small interval for him, it's that big leap. And it's what makes that sound across all of his music, you know, from Appalachian Spring to um, 
rodeo or, you know, so many different things that that's the openness and that second movement, the entire second movement of the clarinet sonata, the lento, that's all it is. It's just gigantic, slow, big intervals and leaps. And it's just so much fun to play. Yeah. It, and it is stunning to listen to as well. Thank you. Um, talk to me about the t- uh, Joan Tower piece, Wings. Wings. Yes, that was one that I was very afraid to record. But Connor, my duo partner, said, you know, he he thinks of this whole album as a sandwich. And uh, when we were drawing it out on a napkin, we he he uh, the the list for this, he put the uh, a little insert insert wings right here. I'm like, oh, my God, that piece is too hard. I don't know if I, I can play it. And he says, well, it, it's great because it, it stands alone in the middle and it separates, you know, sort of a time period of sound. And it's uh, a nice sort of palate cleanser, though it's a 10 minute palate cleanser, but it's a palate cleanser for the ear to take you to the, the next works on the, on the album. Yeah. And you commissioned the Jennifer Higdon A Gentle Notion, is that right? No, no. We commissioned... Oh. We commissioned the Jalbert, and that's how Connor and I started working with each other. We commissioned that back in 2015. The Gentle Notion, written by Jennifer Higdon, which is a two minute and a two minutes, 30 seconds, it's, it's a miniature. I had no idea that piece even existed until I ordered the clarinet sonata uh, from Jennifer's publisher. And so uh, Jennifer Higdon included this other piece titled A Gentle Notion. I opened the envelope. I'm like, oh, great. Here's a sonata. This looks hard. But what is this? I didn't order this. And there was no note. There was nothing to indicate why that was there. So I just sort of assumed, and I assumed correctly, that she just threw in an extra piece that she thought I might enjoy. And uh, we didn't plan on recording it until we ran it through on one of the recording days just for fun. I said, let's warm up on this other piece that that Jennifer gave us, or let's just run it through. And it just fit for the style that we played. And we loved it. And we said, all right, we could rehearse this a little bit more, but we have to record this tomorrow if there's time. Right. And and I'm I'm glad you did. I mean, it's beautiful. This is a, a really interesting collection of modern American music, I mean, with the Copeland as well, but, you know, you've got two female composers. Yes. Uh, When does that happen? It should happen all the time. Of course it should. (laughs) It should happen all the time. Uh, There's a lot of things that need to change, I believe, with uh, the music world. And one of them is that there can be atonal music that is beautiful. Right. And I think that's what we bring across in this album is starting from Copeland, where those dissonances resolve to something that's a breath and a sigh and a relief. Um, Jalbert makes dissonances where it's a whole new language of expression and it's not something that you feel like you're going to want to change channels on the radio right away. so I, I think that when we said we want to co- sort of reestablish or redefine uh, the music for clarinet and piano, because there's a ton of it. 
uh, I wanted to sort of lay, lay a, a, a flag in the stand saying, this is some great music and composers pay attention. We don't have to just have, you know, craziness. Uh, we can have some really modern techniques and uh, even modern techniques like um, extended techniques where I'm playing quarter tones and unusual sounds on the clarinet. Pierre Jalbert does those in a most elegant and beautiful way. So it sounds like tremolos on a violin or a viola or a shimmering voice. And, and I think that's how we sort of connected all these pieces together. We wanted, whether it's tonal or atonal, that it, it all was a, a beautiful and relaxing and enjoyable uh, uh, bit of music for the listener to, to have on their, on their uh, device, yes. their playing device of today. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I was about to say on their, on their record player. No, on their CD player. No, on their, no, on their streaming device. Absolutely. Coming into their ears in some That's way. Right. That's right. I actually draw parallels with Shakespeare and, and I think that if, if Shakespeare had been alive today, he would be writing for something like Friends or something very modern. He wouldn't he would be writing something for the people that people want to want to watch. And I think the same is true of Mozart, that I think Mozart would be composing the kind of music that's on this. He, you know, he wouldn't have stayed, sure. you know, playing the same stuff. Right. You know, just as Miles Davis didn't stay playing, playing and composing the same stuff. Absolutely. I agree 500%. This, this is music that hopefully will inspire uh, the sounds of new composers. That's what we're really hopeful for. Yeah. And like you say, it's lovely while audibly challenging. Yeah. Because it's not easy listening by any means, but it's not, it's not uncomfortable. You know, it's interesting. You look at uh, uh, the Rite of Spring, Right. Right. And that caused riots. Not riots. Everyone got upset and booed and walked out. I, I like how everyone call it, says it, call it caused riots. But, you know, it was offended some people. Yeah. And then it became its own vocabulary. Uh, I think that's the way it is through music all of the time. But on this album, none of this is even gets to that level of dissonance or of offensiveness that that struck the ears for the, the listener when they heard uh, Stravinsky for the first time. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of great new compositions that are going to happen. And I just want them to happen for clarinet and piano. Yeah. <laughs> or solo clarinet for that matter. I'll take solo clarinet as, as well. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about the recording techniques, because there's something very special about how you have, about the sounds that you have got. Yes, well, uh, I produce this record with a singular goal of putting the listener on stage with the performers. And one might think that that would be what is always happening, but it's not. If you listen to the majority, if not all, of classical recordings, uh, and I've been a part of so many recordings, uh, more than 60, the, the record label or, and the producer and the engineering departments, their, their aesthetic is to put microphones in the middle of the concert hall, pick up this beautiful sound from far away. And 
to put the listener in the 30th row, which is nice. It's nice, but I believe it misses the real sound that I hear as a musician. And it was always disappointing for me to be on a recording of something like um, uh, The Planets by Holst. And to feel my chair vibrating and to have every ounce of my, my soul involved in this, in, in this performance and then to hear the recording. And it, it sounds powerful, but in a distant manner. And time and time again, uh, I've experienced this. And I, I realize that that's one of the things that is missing for the listener is to understand and to feel what we are feeling on stage. So essentially, uh, I flip-flop the priority of the miking of this. Whereas traditionally for a, a small ensemble, you would have uh, microphones, the main microphones, and that's how they're labeled on the, on the console. The main microphones are, you know, 30 to 40 feet away from the ensemble. And then you have fill microphones up close just to get a, a little bit of a detail. And they, they're labeled fill. And, you know, the ratio is maybe... 80% the main microphones and 10 or 20% on the fill microphones. And in essence, I completely flip-flop that. So it's 80% those close microphones and then 20% the distant microphones, which is really the perception that we have while we're playing. Right, so it's more about, so I would be on the front row I'm, no, you'd be on the stage. Oh, on the stage, <laughs> right. You'd hear all the clicks and clacks and, you know, we had to cut out a couple of swear words, but yes. <laughs> you see, I love that. There's um, there's a trumpeter and whose who's name escapes me, but he played on a Jared Lawson track and he played flugel. Mm. And the way that's mic'd, you can hear the valves going up and down. Yeah, that's and that, like this. Yeah, and that's just lovely. It's like when you hear a guitar and you can hear the fingers sliding up and down the, the strings. Yes. While editing this, I just wanted to add in that the trumpeter in that case was Farnell Newton, if you want to check him out. It gives you an, a, a realism. And this is what most of music that's produced today is like. And I really believe that this this production quality, which I'm, I'm working on something right now behind me in, in my studio. Um, it's a Baroque album. And when do you ever hear Baroque music like this? It's always, you know, from a chapel from far, far away, which is gorgeous. But that's what I want to hear when I'm at the dentist getting a root canal. But sometimes I want to feel the rock and roll folksy part of Baroque and not just that aesthetic of, you know, far away chapel. Yeah, right, and that's amazing, and it and it 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 does feel very intimate. Oh, incredible! You you hear and feel something that uh, as a listener that performers only only experience. So behind me, I've got on my editing deck a, uh, a Baroque album I'm working working on, and the viola da gamba, this amazing uh, predecessor instrument to the cello. Uh, can have such a range of colors. It was the electric guitar of the Baroque era. Everybody wanted to play viola da gamba. And I'm processing it in just a 
slightly different manner than normal so that the listener can hear that grit and feel the sound of gut strings. They sound very different than, than the modern strings that are used on cello or same thing on this, this album. We have gut strings on the violin and it's not necessarily the smoothest sound. It gives an incredible gritty, gritty character to it that uh, brings the music alive in a different manner. Yeah. And it does give a different experience to the listener, doesn't it? For sure. You know, yeah. I think that that distant, beautiful Baroque music that everyone loves is incredible. But when they hear this, it's going to be the sensation of hearing the Beatles White album for the first time. Wow. <laughs> That's my goal, at least. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we've got to have goals, haven't we? We all need goals. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, talk to me about how you got together the duo, Hannick Hawley. Well, uh, during the summer, there's a music festival in Santa Barbara uh, in California, and it's called the Music Academy of the West. And I'm there for eight weeks teaching and performing. And uh, there's a friend of mine I made there named Connor Hannick. And uh, after our first summer of just playing together and getting to know each other, the possibility of a commission fell into my lap. And I said, can I, can I get this piece written for Connor and me? And it was this piece by Pierre Jalbert. And it's really something when you commission a piece because you don't know what you're going to get in the end. And I had already committed that we're going to perform this at the Music Academy of the West. And I had great faith in Pierre's writing. So I, I knew it was going to be good, but I had no idea it was going to be this good. No, it's, it's stunning, isn't it? It's, it's really stunning. And as a performer, you get an, a piece of music and you work it out and you think you know how it sounds and you think you know how it feels for a, a new commission. But you have no idea as a performer until you put it in front of people. And the experience is very much, um, I think, only unique to the uh, the music world because as a performer you feed off the audience's energy and vibe and to hear the dead silence that was so loud for in in the room just complete dead silence at the end of the second movement it it made me connect with what Pierre Jabot was writing in a whole new manner to hear an entire room react. And I, all I was thinking when I got to the end of the second movement was like, oh my God, I, I didn't run out of air and I didn't squeak. And I think I was in tune on that last note. But for the audience, they were trans, transformed to a whole different world, I think, uh, in that movement that then as a performer made me realize how profound that second movement of the Pierre Jalbert Sonata is. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Really yeah. amazing. And, and it's, it's a great piece to add to the clarinet repertoire. It is. Uh, again, it uses extended techniques in a beautiful and elegant manner and not in a cacophonous manner. Right. You know, we all know what a trill is when you go do it, you know, on an instrument. Yeah. Uh, but 
for Pierre to write these trills that were only a quarter step. So they're just almost tambourine trills. Uh, it's very uh, primal and very um, out of this world cosmic sound. It almost sounds like a synthesizer. How does he technically, how does he write that out? There's a symbol in the music for a quarter step trill. It's written like oh. a regular trill, but it has a little indication that it's not a whole step. It's just a half step. And then uh, as a composer, he said, yes, it has to be more of a texture and a timbre and not a scientific quarter step on a uh, tuner. Right. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, very good. So what are the plans for touring or, you know, getting out there? Well, we, we had hoped to launch this album 10 months ago. And uh, we just had to put that on hold because we wanted to be able to have a launch concert. And it, it's gotten to the point now where we just said, let's, let's, let's go ahead and release it so we can start working on something else. So uh, this is the silent launch that happened this week. There is not the, um, the big fanfare of a recital and a reception in New York like we'd hoped, but uh, I think there will be some good things coming in the year to come. Things Finally, my calendar is starting to fill up with concerts. It's, it's been a nail biter, you know? Yeah. And just hope, hoping that things can keep uh, relaxing and opening up here and not go backwards like it seems to be in many places. Yeah. Yeah. But you've got, um, you, you're like us here in the UK, a lot of people getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I think we're we're very lucky. We're the two countries right now that are just barely ahead of the curve. Right. And the only commonality with that would be the vaccines. So right. obviously they're working, even though it might not be the herd immunity, we don't have the uh, catastrophes that are happening elsewhere in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. And um, God knows those are terrible, aren't they? Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm excited about this. This album means so much to me because of what it represents in bringing something out into the world, not just musically, but um, in a production manner as a start of uh, my record label. So I, I just love being able to talk about this and share it with people. And the whole history of how what even put this notion in my head was my stepdaughter. And I have to say, share the story, that last little thing. We were in a car ride, and this is when she was 11 or 12. And I said, hey, I've got a great classical playlist for you to listen to. And she, she just sort of squirmed and said, I don't want to listen to that. And I said, well, why? I just don't. And she shut down. And I, I stopped the car. I pulled over, and I said, I need to know why. And she felt like she was uh, under the microscope on me saying, why don't you like this? And I was just trying to find out why is it that, you know, from the mouth of babes, we can learn everything. I need to know from her innocent and new viewpoint, what doesn't work for you? She goes, it just sounds always distant and far away. And it doesn't grab me like the music that I listen to. And that's what planted the seed in my mind that, you know, I think there's so many recordings that can be done to give the listener the same feeling that we get on stage, which is why we love performing. Right. Yep. So this is a whole new venture and I, I'm, I'm on a evangelical mission to 
bring music to people's ears in whatever way I can through the recorded device so that, so that more people love music of the traditional acoustic and classical nature as much as I do. That's great. And actually, we do get a buzz, don't we? When, we, when we're on stage, we get a buzz from that performance and it does spread to the audience, but because they're not, you're right. I'd never thought about it until I started reading this and now talking to you, that they have a different auditory experience. Yes. And if we can share that more closely, and I guess probably when people started performing music, they were originally, you know, a small group and, the, and people would have been sitting in chair on chairs around them and would have got more of that. Absolutely. Intimacy. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. Yeah. Fantastic. How fascinating. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing how this, how the record label goes and hearing some more stuff. Thank you, Hillary. I will definitely put you on my, my list for when this, new album comes out in October, which is going to be uh, quite the adventure for the listener. It takes Baroque music and puts it from a very traditional form. Uh, listeners going to hear that. And then they're going to hear it turn into a more folksy and Northern European version. And then you're going to hear that same music as it goes across the Atlantic to the new America and how that turns into bluegrass. Wow. And so it starts off with Baroque and ends up with bluegrass and the bluegrass is played on Baroque instruments. Oh, now that is going to be worth listening to. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Really good to talk to you. Bye. Bye bye. Take care. That was really fascinating. And I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation. <laughs> Thank you for joining me once more for Harmonious World. In a moment, I'm going to finish with the Hannick Hawley duo playing A Gentle Notion. I can't believe I've just celebrated a whole year of doing the Harmonious World podcast, but I hope you're enjoying listening to these conversations. Please do follow me wherever you find me on social media. All the links are in the show notes. Thank you for joining me once more for Harmonious World, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. 
So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week and please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World.